Hi, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday. We're a lectionary podcast from the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Justin Crisp. And I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And today we are tackling a really, really full passage from the gospel according to Matthew. We've got salt, we've got light, and we've got laws. Let's see what's happening. reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to their Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do y'all make of it? Hmm. Well, it's the first big chunk of teaching after the Beatitudes, and uh, Jesus spares no, minces no words with that last bit. Um, but the salt and the, the light, they're, they're so beautiful and they're so familiar. And I think, you know, so much ink has been spilled on explaining what they mean and how what they symbolize and all that and and I like this I like those as a setup for this harsh these harsh sounding words of Jesus at the end um you know that impossible bar that he sets for perfection and not breaking one stroke of a letter of the law um this the salt and light they're there's so, there's so much more um subtle and there's so much more kind of intangible effect than uh, checking boxes of keeping laws and, you know, keeping score and that sort of thing. So you can't really, it, it's such a um, an art and not a science to have the right amount of salt and, you know, the right kind of lighting and, and things like that. And it's just, I love how he builds this tension between like um, poetry and, you know, do it, do the work and be perfect and be better than the Pharisees. Because later in this gospel, one chapter away in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he's going to take the law a step further and make it even more harsh. And um, so I don't know, there's a lot of zigzagging around if people are going to take Jesus um, at face value and not hear the undercurrent of the way he's orienting us in a certain direction. And I think he's trying to like, give different ways of understanding that um, our whole being is meant to be oriented in a certain way. And then the rest kind of follows, you know, it's not like we have to fight it. 
and climb and claw our way into perfection or into the kingdom. It's mm. more like, will you turn completely and entirely this way? Mm. And yeah. I don't know. That's that's my general big big overview, yeah. overview yeah, comment. That's a nice way but. to start here. I, I, I'm with you, Justin. Uh, I mean, when we were first... Uh, not that I'm not with you, Elizabeth. Yeah, he, yeah this is just going to be an issue. Here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to have to. I, here we I, I, go. I have to work Start my way your engine. This here, uh, in, in the way you started by saying, you know, we have an astonishing piece of scripture. And when I first thought we had this, <laughs> yeah. I prepared the wrong piece of scripture. Uh, uh, so anyway, we'll have to find the, the lack of depth in the things I say here. Uh, that this is an astonishing piece of scripture, and and I'm with you in the way you're starting up with. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. We talked about that last week and the kind of um, reversal of things and the, the, the movement of disposition that that, that sets up and, and how uh, this is the way of the kingdom versus the way of the worldness. And then, uh, and he's talking to his disciples, but the crowd can hear him. And we get that astonishing thing where he says, like, you guys are a bunch of somebodies, right? You're salt of the world. I mean, that's actually translated mm-hmm. foss of the cosmos. It really means you're the light of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. We're translating that world, but this is, like, way bigger. I mean, mm-hmm. I, frankly, you know, I mean, the cosmos thing. I'm into the cosmos thing. Yep. Uh, great soccer team in the uh, late 70s, the New York Cosmos, but that's another <laughs> topic for another <laughs> podcast. Uh, but, I mean, the light of the cosmos. And these are a bunch of... You know, ragtag, normal people, Jewish people on a hillside mm. in Galilee, a long way from Jerusalem and a long way from uh, the pious center of the world. I mean, for Jerusalem, the temple, the center of the world. Mm-hmm. And and so we start in with the, the salt and the light. It's like you're somebody, you're going to change the world, right? You're going to be the a city built on a hill. You're gonna, I mean, and this is a, a statement that comes out. Uh, from the road to Jericho to Jerusalem, as you come snake up through the valley, which is seen at Wadi Kelt for those who make the pilgrimage, as you wake up, you can see this walk up, you can see the city on the hill. It's this mm-hmm. bright, incredible light in the darkness. And so mm-hmm. this isn't just any city on the hill. This is a reference to Jerusalem, the holy city on the hill. And he's saying, you're, you know, you're, you're this light. You're a holy city, and and and, and so I think mm. in the context of this is like, mm-hmm. this is like taking the JV hoop team playing this, you know, the state champions, and say, you guys got it, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to make a big difference in this game mm-hmm. today, and they mm-hmm. a bunch of kids with shirts that don't fit them saying, huh, mm. Uh, mm. and so that's the start of it. When and his talking to these normal people. Uh, who are outside the holy, uh, on the edges of the holiness. And, and Judaism might be understood in the second portion of the discussion of the law is the way of holiness. Mm-hmm. And God is holy, in other words, other in the divine, and the, the law is the way to live in communion with the otherness of the divine. And it involves all sorts of things like purification. And 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 then what do we mean by the law? And so... Uh, I mean, this is shocking. Mm-hmm. This this mm-hmm. statement makes a zero sense if you're depending on the context you read it from, because mm-hmm. Jesus breaks the law mm-hmm. regularly. He gets crucified regularly. for breaking the law. Yeah. Paul, who has you know by name twelve letters mm-hmm. in the in the New Testament, seven of which are his, spends the whole time saying, you know, in Romans, Jesus is the end of the law, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 Paul is the great teacher, you know, mm-hmm. the rabbi, mm-hmm. and so we have what seems like inter you know, these contradictions. And I'm going to hand it off to the theologian here one second. And Justin will clarify all the things that are muddy. But I mean, the law 
when we talk about the law, the law can be understood as the Ten Commandments. The law can be understood as the five books of the Torah. The law can be understood as the the whole entire, the whole of the, what we call the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, or it can be the 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 all of the um, rules and regulations of the law, which we say there were six hundred fourteen during Jesus's day, but mm. you know much of which wasn't even codified until the third century with the Mishnah, and then and then the the Talmud. Right. So mm. this is a whole mound of things. And what do we mean when Jesus is? What do we mean by the law? Uh, we're off to a really good start. Uh, we're off to a really good start. I what think. do you think of that? He says we're off to a good start. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm tempted to say I'm with one of you, but uh, anyway, we don't, we don't need to do that right now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I am with you, Elizabeth, in thinking that um, these first two sayings about salt and light are really good intros to the to the harder saying uh, about the law. And I'm with you, Peter, that figuring out what Jesus means by law here, and also what Jesus means by fulfilled, and what he means by until all is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these uh, these are words which we really need to um, slow down, focus on, define, figure out what he's what he's doing. Because depending on their definitions, these passages can mean very different things. Um, but to to start to back up our definitional work with salt. Um, and perhaps um, I might say a word about light too. So we've talked about salt before on the podcast. And those of you who've been following us at home for some time know I'm a big fan of salt. Uh, and my, my wife, Jewel, and I have a running debate in our household about how much salt is necessary in many dishes. And I'll just say Jewel's coming around in my perspective, uh, which is good. Um, <clears throat> the, the miraculous thing about salt is that um, salt enhances the flavors of other elements of a dish you don't i mean i do, i love the flavor of salt i i actually i really do i love that um that savory flavor um i love it almost well i think i love it more than i do sugar and i do like sugar but i would i most of the time i would pick a potato chip over a chocolate bar unless it's a chocolate bar with some flakes of sea salt in it um but i never tempted to go get a spoon and go dip it in the you know, in in the salt jar and take a bite. That's not how salt works, right? So when Jesus is saying you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? He is talking about something which gives flavor to the world. The salt that's lost its taste, that is thrown out, you don't test that by like taking a spoonful of it and taking a bite. You know it because your food comes out bland. And I think this is a really powerful thing for Jesus to say because in our contemporary moment, there is a deep and I would say justified suspicion that Christianity sucks the joy out of life, Mm. that Christianity sucks the flavor out of life, that it makes life bland. Uh, Because Christians have often often spoke in such ways, right? Um, I think that if I'm thinking about this as a um, as a theologian, I'm reminded of my teacher Miroslav. Miroslav Volf um, says he's got a passage at the end of his book, Flourishing, um, where it, it's in the epilogue where he's talking about a pen. And I actually brought one of these pens. This is not Miroslav's pen, but this is the kind of pen that he uses, and it's the kind of pen that he writes about. They are Pilot G Tech C fours. Uh, they are <clears throat> itty bitty little tiny tiny little nibs here at the end of it. It makes a very, very, very fine line. And he has one of these, and I think he also writes about um, uh, about a fountain pen that belonged to a member of his family. Perhaps it was his father. I'm just blanking um, here. But he, he, he's writing about this pen, and when he says that he, um, he, he uses the pen, it 
reminds him of a whole community of people who are also obsessed with pins and who also love this particular pin for whom this pin is the chosen pin. Uh, and when I use this pin, I think of Miroslav. Um, our objects in the world have around them, they spread around them what the philosopher Maurice Merleau-Ponty calls an atmosphere of humanity. The relationships that we have to objects make the objects mean more than just the, the, the sheer material something or other that they are. This pen is more to me, even when I use it, even when I'm not thinking about it, than just a writing instrument. We were making a joke about how this podcast should be sponsored by, do you mind, uh, Bankwell. Uh, and Bankwell is a local bank here in New Canaan. Uh, or based here in New Canaan, uh, and and uh, our parishioner Chris Krusecki is um, uh, is a, what, what, a resident, resident CEO. Yes, thank you, uh, president and CEO of Bankwell. I was going to call him a muckety muck, but Chris is uh, way 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 more sophisticated than a muckety muck. Uh, and so this mug reminds us of Chris. Uh, this podcast is not officially sponsored by Bankwell. Don't <laughs> worry, Chris. Uh, but you know the mug means more to us actually than just being something which has a drink in it. Um, I brought today. My um one of my grandfather's handkerchiefs, um it has um been embroidered with a B on it. So for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you perhaps can see the see the B here. B for Bethel. I mean, I have a whole collection of these handkerchiefs. Um, and when I feel the need to be close to my grandfather for some reason, I carry one around with me. Um, and I even found I found myself this morning just putting it up to my face. Um, it's as, it's as close physic, it's as physically close to my grandfather as I, I can now get, given that he died just over six years ago. Um, I think that what it means for Christians to be the salt of the earth, one of the things that it means is that we see the whole world, like I see this handkerchief or this pen, we see it as reminding us of somebody. It spreads an atmosphere of relationship, and that relationship is to God. We see the whole world, at the very least, as a gift from God, which transforms the way the world tastes to us, the way that we experience the world. It makes, just as, just as this handkerchief means a lot more to me than it's just something, you know, with which I wipe my nose, so also the world means much more to us. Every single part of the world, every single part of our lives means much more to us when we see them as a result of a, of a loving creator um, who, who, who wants to be with us and who has provided for us and who has given us these things as a gift. And, and so I think that um, this means Christians ought to be people who put the world into technicolor, not people who try to, um, who try to suck the joy or suck the liveliness out of the world in order to perhaps delay it or defer it into the life of the world to come. I mean, those of you who've been joining us for a long time know I'm way into the life of the world to come. But I'll just say this saltiness is supposed to transfigure your life now, and that life is going to continue perpetually into the future. Um, so I think this is, I, I would suggest that is part of what it means for Christians to be the salt of the earth, that we put everything on earth Everything in our lives, we see it in its relationship to God, and by doing so, we transfigure it, actually, and we make it even more special. It means that Christianity doesn't mean giving, it doesn't mean doing without things. It means doing with things as they were originally intended to be done with, that is, to see them as gifts from God.
Yeah. I mean, salt, salt in, the, in this age was so valuable. Mm. And, you know, Roman soldiers were paid in salt allowances and, you know, they're worth their salt and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. there's so many uses for salt. It, it, it's the paradoxical symbol, right, of, as you said, over-salting is, is deadly or mm. at least terribly off Get rid of um, But, you know, it's, it's something that can kill you if you drink too much ocean water and sucks the water out of your body. But it can also preserve and it can heal and it sterilizes. It preserves. Um, you know, it's poison. I mean, you know, it will kill you if you drink eat too much. But... Um, but it was valuable, and 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 just the right amount, you know, is is just what you're describing in, in a nice way. And um, but Jesus is saying, um, you know, to lose the taste of salt. I think in the Greek that that to lose your taste it becomes dull. You're just dull, doltish, stupid. You know, um, and I think that oftentimes, if you take it for granted that, you know, you're flavorful or, or whatever, um, as a, as an institution, you're sort of admiring your own taste, you know, or, or sticking to your own taste. And, uh, I think Jesus is calling, you know, naming what it is to be in this movement, the Jesus way that, um, it's small and incredibly powerful in a, in the smallness and, and it's plural too. Like it's not each individual person that's uh, going out to just be their own lonely lone pillar, you know. But together in their small band, they can make a great difference. And um, and light, similarly, like you know, you named it the, the the cosmic light. I think you know people talk about the the genie's lamp in the ancient world, and you know the genius of a lamp is that the flame you know, is like the cosmic light contained in this small little quantum bit, you know, and, and it lights a whole room, but you can't put the whole cosmos, cosmos light in a lamp, mm-hmm. you know, but we each contain that same light. And, and I mean, that's the sort of magic of, of a small amount of light. It, it creates a tremendous amount of illumination. And also it's not the lamp itself, you know, and I think for just as salt was valuable in that in the ancient world, light light was just as hard to come by. You know, I mean, we just flick a switch and take it so for granted. And for that for that world, anything pre-electric was oil or you know whatever they could come up with whale fat <laughs> to to create a flame. So you had to go where the sun was, or you know, have enough money to keep oil in your lamps. Um, so, so I think it's important to kind of hear Jesus' words in the context of what these things mean to the, the hearers in that time. Um, and, you know, I, I also want to point out just for people listening that when we say, when Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, you know, that's what we say at least in this church and some churches, <laughs> uh, it's not in the prayer book, but, you know, to offer the candle to the baptized and say, receive the light of Christ. And at Easter, we light the Paschal light and it's the light of Christ. And that candle lit from the Paschal candle, it contains that flame, the light of Christ. And, you know, in baptism, we say you're, you're revealing your light of Christ so that, that you're, the world may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. 
So here's where it comes from. You know, it's not made up. And it's, it's an affirmation, I think, of what it means to really let Christ in and to illuminate your life. Um, so these symbols carry a lot more weight then than they do for us now, it seems like. So really interesting, and thanks for bringing us back to the baptismal line there. I think that with reference to light, I think the word light is in the scripture something like 250 times, mm -hmm. uh, and we start right from the beginning, let there be light. I yeah. mean, this is yeah, uh, the attributes of God. God is light, God is love, and God is life. Uh, life understood as so eternal life in the Greek, and and so I think that uh, from the salt and the light, you know, you, each of you have opened up this, some of the symbolism there. We then, uh, and, and try to understand the context of which it came. I think it's really important that we understand the context of the, the next portion from salt and light mm -hmm. and into law. Mm -hmm. And to say, first of all, that Jesus is a Jewish man speaking to Jewish people. And secondly, Matthew is a Jewish man speaking to Jewish people who are now following Jesus, the, the, the Jewish man. Mm -hmm. And so we are in a Jewish conversation here primarily and because this, this passage could be seen as anti-Jewish, uh, taken out of context, and it could be seen that as such where uh, if, you, if you say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And that can be taken as unless your righteousness exceeds that of Jewish people, you'll never enter the... And so you get into this kind of hierarchical thing here, uh, which is exceedingly dangerous and not what the scriptures are saying here. Mm -hmm. I think it's just very important that we take a look again at who are the scribes and the Pharisees and what is their role in this and how do they understand the law. So from their perspective... The law is a gift of God uh, that has been given to them. That's the gift that started on Mount Sinai with the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It's the, the, the bedrock of the law, and it is it is it is the way of it is the way of communion with God. And as I was saying earlier, the way of holiness to be in communion with a holy God, and that the uh, that the um, laws or regulations and rules that emanated from those original principles of the law. This is. Barclay has a lot to say about this in his commentary, you know, came out of trying to apply the principles of these, of these commandments to daily life. It came out of a good desire to live in communion and to figure out how to do that. And the role of the scribes, that was their job. I mean, they were, you know, they're sometimes known as the lawyers of the day. They were the ones who were, who were wrestling through these questions of the law and how and wrestling through the questions of holiness, wrestling through the questions of how you might live in communion and union. And the Pharisees were the all-star team trying to do it, right? I, I mean, we the Pharisees get get totally dissed on in the New Testament. And and the only the only um, knowledge we have of the Pharisees in the world comes from the New Testament, which is why we have so many my, you know, rabbi friends who've got a, a master's of sacred theology from the El Divinity School because they're studying the New Testament scriptures about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to follow the jot and tila. They are the pious ones trying to do the right thing. And, and that what Jesus is commenting on, I believe, and, I, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and what Paul is commenting on um, is the question of when does the law of love um, actually uh, uh, obscure uh, the divine and what it means to live in communion with the divine. And so that if we might consider, there's, a, there's an Oxford professor who summarizes these different religious traditions and says, 
um, that Judaism is the way of holiness and Christianity is the way of love and action, we might say that Jesus' fulfillment of the law um, is uh, to understand the base principles of the law as reverence, respect, out of out of divine love, um, love of God, love of neighbor, and that and that Jesus is the, the what we call the way of love, which our presiding bishop Michael Curry has has named so beautifully as the way of trying to follow Jesus. It's it's not that it's opposed to the law; it's that the foundations of the law uh, are this uh, are to be in communion with a God who is love. Uh, with a capital L, and that and that Jesus's fulfillment of the law, uh, well, that's a super complicated question about what does he mean by that, um, and uh, I, perhaps it is that all of that law uh, that that he he seeks to bring that to communion. I mean, sometimes people say his death on the cross is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, this uh, this I feel on thin ice on. I, I think that it take a bigger brain. Uh, and more knowledgeable brain to to speculate on that. But I I I just want to caution, you know, the Christian people uh uh, uh to show the, the the great differences and also the the, the certain similarities. So if one goes to the state of Israel on Shabbat and watches people rushing to their homes to get there before sundown, um and the Christians kind of, you know, through the streets. I mean, they're doing that in keeping with the law so that they might observe the Sabbath and really take the time to be with the divine in communion with their, their families. And, um, and that uh, one of the other things that you can sort of throw you off when you come into the certain uh, Jewish, heavily uh, Jewish neighborhoods is like you get into a building and it doesn't doesn't matter what what you touch on the um, elevator because the elevator stops at every floor because mm-hmm. it's now considered part of the law that you can't you can't press the button on the elevator and so somewhere between pressing every button on the elevator and getting home to be with your people so you can so you can actually take time to be with God you know somewhere in all the midst Jesus inserts himself in that and 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 certainly parts of the law get abolished right i mean paul i mean <laughs> peter peter has the vision uh, down near tel aviv where the, the the blanket comes down with all the food and says what i've made is all good right and so the, that portion of the kosher food laws goes away for christians and so how are we to make sense out of this well it it is it is it's it, you know in the double negative category not a no brainer mm. not a no brainer there's a mm. lot packed into that yeah uh, it <clears throat> that's incredibly helpful peter because i i think that um it's always important to remember that the Pharisees and Jesus are actually, um, they're actually very close to one another. The two most dissonant notes on a piano are those which are right next to each other. So it's like C and C sharp. Uh, more dissonant than like C and any other note on the piano. It's C and C sharp or C and B natural. Uh, it's the two notes which are most proximate to one another, which actually sound most dissonant, but they're actually so dissonant because they are so proximate to one another. And that's, I think, what we have going on in all of the Gospels, but perhaps particularly in Matthew between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, we are talking about, as we've discussed, as we put it before, an, 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 um, a family disagreement. Um, but this is, you know, to read the passage, I really like the way that you, that you put it, to read the passage and substitute... Jewish people for the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of Jewish people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is 
totally bogus as a way of thinking about this passage, right? We're talking about, um, we, we've got Jews talking to Jews, and we've got a, a Jew writing about Jews talking to Jews, writing about it to other Jews at this right. stage, right, when we're talking about Matthew. Um, I do, you know, I, I, I wonder, Elizabeth, what you make of this, like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, what is, what is Jesus talking about? Uh, well, the way I understand that, is and I, I really appreciate how you've set it up, and I, I think that there are more than just the Pharisees and scribes for Jewish sects. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were Herodians or Essenes, there were Sadducees. So the Pharisees, as you both know, were the you know guardians of the of piety and gatekeepers of what it meant to ful- to keep the law, and you know so legalistic, um, perhaps, or at least that's how they're portrayed. Um, in contrast to Jesus. Uh, but here, I think, in a way, his statement, if all, if there are representatives of all those sects within earshot, he's offending all of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he's first saying that really the scribes good. and the Pharisees are at the top, and even they aren't keeping the law enough to, to enter the kingdom of God. Mm. And he's saying, but, but you disciples of mine, you can exceed it. You know, you're in a must, you must exceed it. I mean, what does that say to the Pharisees? And then Jesus goes out and eats with sinners and they don't wash their hands and all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's very mind-boggling what he might be onto here. But I really think that, well, in our last podcast or maybe two podcasts ago, we talked about righteousness Mm -hmm. as justice, you know, whereas where if your justice can exceed that of the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, will enter, you know, because the, the salt and light, it's for the whole world. It's not, you know, to make yourself shine and to be spicy and excellent and admirable. It's to, yeah. to make a difference in the world and to bring relief to the poor and, and the outcast and the hungry. You know, that's at the end of this gospel. Again, he's going to make a call to the disciples to bring food when he's hungry and a drink when one is thirsty. And that's that's the work of righteousness. So I think where Jesus is going is that to keep the law and the prophets in spirit as well as letter, it can't cost human lives and it can't exclude people. And so the Pharisees were so concerned with um, purity code that it kept people at bay you know, shut people out of the community, banished them for times or, you know, sentences to go serve while they got holy again. So, I mean, that's the C and C sharp mm. difference is that, you know, I think the Pharisees and scribes were more concerned with what, you know, their concept of God keeping a score. Um, and Jesus says, you know, God loves the world. That's what the prophets said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right. Mm-hmm. And that law says that too. So to me, Jesus is sort of calling them back to that orientation. And um, and that's the, the difference that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. But um, so I don't know. I think the scribes and the Pharisees, they're sort of the, they're the straw man for... Um, the, the most law-abiding in, in terms of if you're going to keep a score on paper, they get it all right. Mm. Um, but at what cost to mm. others? Sometimes, like I don't know enough about the Pharisees to say they, they also didn't show mercy. I'm sure they, many did. But that was Jesus's modus operandi was to bring people to the law of love yeah. that includes all the other laws if yeah. interpreted that way. Yeah. I mean, it... um. 
it strikes me that um, theologically there are many Christians who whose orientation to their to Christianity is much the same as what you're describing as the Pharisees' orientation to the law, which Jesus is criticizing, right? Um, so if what Jesus is criticizing here is um, letter over spirit, or not just letter over spirit, a letter to the detriment of spirit, mm-hmm. um, letter to the point where you're contradicting the spirit, right? I mean, we see, mm-hmm. we see loads of examples of that, I think, in the history of, in the history of our own faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, um, I think we're going to see in the next couple of weeks as we continue to move through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to tighten up the law and make <laughs> fulfilling it to the letter impossible for any human being to do. Now, mm-hmm. what Jesus' strategy is rhetorically <laughs> when he's doing this is a question that we're that I think will exercise us for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, that's what he's going to do. That's what's coming up. That's a spoiler alert. Next episode, he's going to make this thing so hard, nobody's going to be able to fulfill it. I think there's some other things going on um, later on in the Sermon on the Mount where he's also he's conceiving of the law as an instrument a means rather than an end. And it's an instrument to mm-hmm. relationship with God. To uh, Peter, as you were saying, it's the way of holiness. This is the way that puts you in loving communion with God, your creator, and so on. Um, the law is the means to this, but the law is not an end in and of itself. And if you can get, if you can make that shift, I mean, that's, that's C and C sharp right there. If you can, you know, the law is crucial, it's important, it's the, it's, it's, it's the means to your communion with God, uh, but it is not an end in, a, in, it's not an end in itself. I mean, if you begin to treat it like an end rather than as a means, then you begin to, then it becomes this, it becomes this other thing. It becomes mm-hmm. this other thing. And again, this is, uh, we'll, we'll have more actually to talk about once we see him doing this rhetorically in the, in the coming pericopes or passages. Um, it does. One more thing that strikes me is that in the in the Hebrew scriptures, I think that you can see this um, this idea that God is the end, a relationship with God is the end, and the law is the means. In the um, in stories about how God can abrogate or set people free of certain parts of the law, or at least the affirmation of the possibility that God could set people free from parts of the law. The most famous of which, to my mind, is um, uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Right, and of course, the story of Abraham and Isaac is taking place in Genesis. The Ten Commandments don't come until Exodus. So I'm 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 not talking here in like purely narratival form. The narrative is not necessarily saying you know God gave run rule on Sinai and then asked Abraham to break it. But in fact, Abraham is seriously entertaining the idea that God is going to mandate him to break one of the commandments, which God will then go on to say is an absolute uh, is a moral absolute on Mount Sinai, namely, "Thou shalt not murder." Uh, you know, th- simply, and I'll just say, crazy story, right? <laughs> Abraham entertaining the idea that God's going to ask him to kill his son, but uh, the 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 um, but the spiritual upside of that story, I think, especially as interpreted by people who I really like, like Søren Kierkegaard, is that God is God is God is the one who's actually calling the shots. And the point of the law is to be in relationship, not with the law, but with God. And that means that God can even call you to do things which are in contradiction to the letter of the law. 
And so people who are in this kind of, in this school of thought um, would also include Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a complete pacifist who thought that the, the command, thou shalt not murder, was a moral absolute. But then under the exigencies of a particular time and place with great fear and trembling, he discerned that God was actually calling him to participate in an assassination plot against Hitler. To, God was asking him to break the law. Um, so then there again, you see like the end versus the means and what's the purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law, I think, is, as you were saying, Peter, it's, it's, it's communion, it's loving relationship. Um, and as you were saying, it's loving relationship, not just with God, but with all of creation. Um, I know we've been, uh, we've been at this for, for quite some time. Do either of you have a, have a last word here? We're, we're going to continue with the Sermon yeah, on the Mount. I'll just, maybe I just very, very quickly, um, uh, I think... You're, you're absolutely right. We are, we're in for it. <laughs> right. Hold on to your eyeballs. Yeah, the Sermon, <laughs> the sermon right? on the Mountains, chapters 5, 6, and 7, right? And, Hold on to your uh, eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, this That's is good. what Bonhoeffer wrote his most famous book about, right? Yeah. It, was a, right. It, was, it had been a course that he taught, I think, at Union Seminary about the Sermon on the Mount. And, mm-hmm. and so we're just getting started here. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus, and the next thing I want to return to is, I, I mean, the, the, which one of you made the comment about Jesus made everybody unhappy? Uh, whoever was, oh, you're, you're right <laughs> on. Totally true. You're so right on. This guy. None made, of the sex were like, oh, great. Love this Jesus guy. I got guy. this guy. I'm with him. He's with me. I mean, Jesus tips everybody's apple cart over. Mm-hmm. Everybody's. Mm-hmm. Everybody's. And uh, he's going to start to introduce things that we're spending two ye- two thousand years later still trying to figure out mm-hmm. and wrestle with. That's mm-hmm. one of these. Jesus is timeless. His word is timeless. This, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you even get to Augustine who says, "Love and do as you will." Mm-hmm. Right? Because Augustine's yeah. trying to figure it out. Right. And uh, and how do we how do we how do we how do we interpret this this man who had a, the, such a divine gift? And and so, yeah, yeah, we're in for it. I mean, and, and what we're in for, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus, you heard it say this, and now I say that. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. I liked it before. Um, anyway, so, I, I uh, yeah, we are in for it. Um, the next thing I want to say is we uh, have special guest star with us here. we mm-hmm. got Wendy. Uh, this is this is sitting room only if you're going to be here uh, to, to be with our podcast. We've got Elizabeth's sister here, and we're psyched to have you here we're also psyched to have uh, uh your sister who tunes in mm. uh olivia and congratulations to her for her news and my sister who tunes in once while if she can stand to hear us rattle on to this <laughs> uh, i also would like to make a comment about another sister of ours uh, megan who uh for so so long was part of our podcast production and is now no longer with us and just to say we're grateful for all that she has done uh, for us and with us to make this pod and to make our church uh, more lively as we bring the gospel to the world. And we wish her every blessing uh, in the next phase of her journey. And since I'm bit busy rattling away, we're also thankful for you, Rob, uh, who's the, the genius behind the camera with the sound head on, telling us it's time to be quiet because you guys are done listening. to this. So uh, to Rob's mother, uh, we send a special <laughs> thanks here, uh, whatever you're listening to this podcast, since we're talking about, uh, we're talking about sisters and uh, we consider Rob, your mom, to be one of our great fans and followers and so thankful mm-hmm. to her too. We're grateful to all of you who tune in. We love it when you wrestle with the word with us. Please like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a comment. Send us a note. We love it when we hear from you. God bless you. You are the salt of the earth. Good luck. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) 